don't have to like everything we say. You don't have to listen to us. Well, tonight we're going to talk about takeout, taking home that doggy bag to Fido, bringing that bone from the T-bone, my favorite steak cut I always get, because doggy loves a bone. We're going to look at part of a question I mentioned before from a viewer discussing the get-home bag option for you and the puppy dog. When you are a single person with a dog, you can apply this to any other animal if you're riding around with a sheep back there you want to take home, or God forbid you brought a cat in a leash. You can figure out ways to work this out, but there's some things I'm going to point out. I can't give you a complete definitive list. I don't even know that that's possible, but I'm going to point out some things that I have and I do, being a guy who travels full-time with a dog in case this ever happens, because in that situation, I'd have to leave everything anyway. What are some things we need to look at when we've got an animal with us that will be good to have all the time and we may need? We've got to bug out from our vehicle and head home. That's what we're going to talk about, the doggy bag right here on Gray Man, hiding in plain sight. Some of the things I think we might fail to address in this discussion, I've often seen failed to be addressed in the entire bug out bag, get home bag conversation just with people. Going back to what I've said before, when it comes to say knowledge or research of information or biases is overestimating our abilities. I I think I've lost count of how many people I've asked. Could you walk 12 miles in three hours with 45 pounds on uneven terrain? And they all say yes. And I try so hard not to laugh in their face because I know it's not true. But that brings the question of what are we prepared to do and what is our dog prepared to do? How much mileage do they got under them? How much exercise are we getting with that animal? And how much can they really do realistically based on their age, their weight, and their breed? Now, while breed doesn't factor into humans, age and weight would. So how much conditioning have you done and how much conditioning have they done? Part of this because we want to look at weight distribution for what we're carrying. We think that maybe we don't need that much or maybe it's more than we think we need. We're not sure where we're at here, but weight distribution, who's carrying everything? Like how far are we going? The get home bag idea is probably getting home or getting to a place where we can contact help, whether it's law enforcement, emergency services, whether somebody come pick us up. Perhaps it's in the middle of Nevada where I try not to travel too much. You get stuck somewhere and you really do have to walk a ways to find shelter unless somebody happens to come along. So that distance scenario you want to base completely on your normal travel trips and things that you do. Maybe relook the items you have if you need to add to them. If, in fact, you are going to change seasons, terrain, or distance due to, say, vacation. Whereas I have a lot more stuff with me than most people do, I still have to pick and choose if I was to bail out and do something, what I need and why, and I might have to do a quick, fast, and hurry. These are things I have to think about. This brings up the modular topic that I'm not going to address because I don't do that a lot. I like it. Not a personal choice. I exercise. I'd rather just have separate bags. 
I'm going to let somebody else do that, that I had a conversation with that's going to do it in the future when looking at bags. I'm going to focus more on the idea of the animal and the support we need. I think there's plenty of good information out there and the items we need to look at for ourselves. I think the question's really about what we need for the animal. Now, as a reminder to this question, it was, what would you include in a get-home bug-out bag? I've been trying to build a couple on a budget and keep coming up short for what I might actually need as a single person with a dog. We're going to focus on the get-home aspect. Now, weight distribution matters because there's all kinds of cool backpacks and stuff you can get for dogs and clothing you can get for them, but seasons matter. Dogs can overheat quicker than people can. They can also cool off quicker depending on their breed and their hair. So like my dog is a winter doggy. God bless her, but man, when it starts falling below freezing, she always wants to get up in the middle of the night one or two times and go out and pee and run around and play in the cold, especially if there's snow on the ground. And I'm like, no, because she has two layers of fur because her mama was a great Pyrenees. She loves it. If I got stranded with her, even in the springtime in Arizona, it would be rough on her. And I would have to carry two or three times the amount of water I normally would, knowing most of it's going to go to her, hoping that she still has the energy to keep moving more than a mile mile and a half at her age. That's a factor for me just because of her age and the temperature of that climate that I'm bringing up as an example. This is to say, make sure we're careful about how much stuff we have, but some items to consider. One is I carry multiple leashes in my car and I always have. So for example, I have a four foot leash with a little bit of bungee on it. It also has other than just a standard leash handle at the end, it has a little bit of what I call a control handle very close down to the leash or not the leash to the collar. I have this because of stores and some stores that can be crowded so that she stays a little closer. She's never been overly aggressive with me. The bungee thing is just to make sure that if she wants to go rush and say hi to some puppy dog, that it doesn't hurt her if she starts trying to scramble, which she typically won't scramble too much because most stores have linoleum floors and she hates that anyway. But I have that. I always have a standard one to two six foot leashes or six and a 10 foot leash that I typically use to have as most ordinances require six foot leash. I can get away with a 10 because because of her size and my size. People don't realize it's a 10 footer all the time and sometimes I have a little slack pulled off of it. I've only had a couple people ever come up to me and be like, I think that's bigger than a six foot leash. I'm like, yes, yeah, 10 feet, but they don't know it. I also run around with a 30 footer. The 30 footer is great for golf courses and dog parks or new areas where you know, they want to run around, but you're not sure you want to let them just freely run around. Like, my dog's really friendly with other dogs, or can be anyway. She's never been too aggressive with them unless they're aggressive towards me. But it gives me a little bit more control to her. There's parks I take her to where I let her run around with that. Well, I full well know I'm probably violating some ordinance, but nobody really, nobody really cares. Plus, if she hauls off and wants to go kill a squirrel or a duck, I can limit her ability to do that in public in front of a bunch of kids. And they just think it's a dog chasing an animal and it's fun, and they don't have to see gruesome murder. That is to say, you could also look at having a secondary leash or a secondary collar, depending on weather extremes. I had a, I think they're called biothane, bio something. It's whatever that really tough rubber plastic type material they make a lot of horse halters out of, you can find for animals. The collars, they weren't super expensive. They weren't super cheap. Longer leashes can be very expensive, but they have this really great reflective stuff on her. And I, I had to replace it, so she has a leather leash now, but I want to get her another one of those, especially if I'm in wet weather and I think I'm going to be out there more than a few hours. No matter how well I take her, the leather collar is probably not going to hold up as well. Something else to consider to have, and you may just want to put them on their collar all the time, a couple things that are on my dog's collars. One thing is, so aside from like, you know, you got the microchip and like your rabies thing, is I have good tiny key ring deals on there, but I also have them kind of spaced out. 
because I want the jingle jangle sound. I, I tell it's her jingle jangle and it's all cutesy and stuff, but it's also so she can be heard a little bit easier and I can hear her easier at night. But on there, I also bought one of these yellow plastic reflective things of Amazon for a few bucks that you can check out that helps with any amount of lighting. It reflects super bright at like, like 200 yards. Like it's pretty insane where I've shined a flashlight really quick and just kind of gone over to where I realize even if I, once I see it, I go back and I put it on her until she moves. Sometimes I can't even tell she's there, but what I can see is a reflection off that. So that's really great. If you're going to be in limited visibility, especially if there's going to be vehicles around higher probability of them seeing you. Something else that you can carry or have them wear all the time is there's a type of collar I bought. I'm going to put some of these items I'll put in the show notes just so you can check them out and see what they are. There's a type of collar I bought her that's not like leash collar. It's really a simple piece of plastic tubing like fat microfiber. Or not microfiber, micro... What do they call those? Fiber optic, I guess. Yeah. All it is, it's this little LED light inside of a casing and it takes these three tiny little batteries. You can get 100 of these batteries for like 12 bucks. And you can turn it on or set it to blank. They have multiple colors. I use green because I like green. It's easier for me to see at night because I'm used to seeing. It matches the green cam light colors for those of you in the military. And we saw if you were like me and you started out like in an infantry unit or stuff like that where the majority was green cam lights. Anyway, like you're drawn to it. That's why I got the green one. But it has steady and then flashing. I use steady because I think the flashing kind of messes her up. So that thing's really great at night just around here when I'm visiting family or like some of the camping places I go where nobody's around where she likes to trot off. She At this point, she might only go 50 feet. She might go 75 feet. She doesn't go that much farther anymore, but I can see her with that. I can see where she's at. I don't have to search for her or call for her because sometimes I'll be calling for her and she'll probably acts at night the same way she does for the day where she just stares at me and like tries to figure out if I really want her to come over. But now I can see that and I don't have to bother other people and I know where she is. It was really helpful in hunting season. She, it was, where was I? I was in the Boise National Forest. Cold front came out of nowhere. Guys were out there hunting deer and elk. I think it got down to like 12 degrees, 15 degrees every night. Pretty cold. She wanted to go out and play. So she just run and run and run. I have to go chase her down. Hunters are coming out, getting ready to go hunting. And I was glad I had that light on there. Plus, I, I don't think too many people, unless they're really negligent, would mistake her for anything. But having that light on there kind of even gives you enough time to consciously think about the fact that's probably not a dangerous animal plus they can hear the jingle jangle on there so that, that's something else to look at is having some of these extra items another thing is water one of the things that you can find out about uh, dogs especially and especially if you talk to people veterinarians and, and do some research around generally speaking you let them drink however much water they want to drink and a lot of times when you get a new dog or a new breed or something you haven't had in a long time you live in a place like arizona like a, a woman i knew down there she'd adopted a terrier short hair and he did drink god awful in the water but and he wasn't seem to be peeing that much and i was like i don't know i think it's okay you know but he was also got he wasn't food protected but he gobbled that stuff up because he was homeless for like a year and a half getting chased by coyotes I, it took him a while to realize the stuff was always going to be there for him but the vet took him to the vet and the vet was like yeah you know he's let him do it it's, it's what he needs it's what his body needs to flush this stuff out it's how his system works it's how his breed works so you can clarify that with your veterinarian which you should you should also clarify about medical records and shots, not just the basic ones, but if you're traveling somewhere, what are things that might be considered? You want to think of it like this. If you travel internationally, like you're not going to Canada to hunt penguin, you're, you're going internationally somewhere, there can be vaccination requirements, and I'm not just talking about COVID. There's other ones. There are ones you go talk to your doctor about. I'm going on this safari. I'm going on this. I'm going to go backpack around Europe. One of the smart things people do is they go to a doctor. If you're going to leave your general area, if you're going to leave your state 
or let's say your environment, your major regional environment. So in Washington, there's really two regional environments, depending on the side of the mountain, where say some of the Northeast states are small enough, the regional environment might be the same within two or three states. So whatever you know that area to be, if you're going to relieve the regional environment, just give your vet a call. Tell them where you're going, what you're doing. Is there anything special you need to know about? They know things. Like they'll be like, oh, hey, I called them one time when I was up here, going to get my dog shots updated. And she goes, well, I know you don't live in Arizona anymore, but you still travel down there, right? You told me that like she remembered this a year later. I was like, yeah, sometimes I do. She's going anytime soon this year. And I said, no, I don't think so. Next year though, she goes, okay, well, then one of the things you might want to think about later is getting this shot for whatever it was that was the kennel cough or whatever. She said, it's going around Arizona again. Now she probably knew that because she was a military vet and they talked, but sometimes vets know these things. That's also to say that I don't think I've talked it on here, but there's a discussion I've had with people involving things like medical records, important papers you want to take, whether it's a house fire or whatever. One thing is I travel with my dog's medical records so I can take them anywhere. I use military networks if possible so they can get updated copies. If I have to pay a civilian veterinarian, no problem. I get copies of that paperwork. But another thing you can do is basically digitize that and put on a thumb drive and carry it with you in case you're in a situation where, you know, paperwork isn't environmentally conducive. You know, like if you're going to go, say you have a dog that you like to go hunting with or go long-term camping where you hike in, you might want to consider having some sort of waterproof thing, even if you just, I don't know, if it's short-term, vacuum sealing is probably okay, like a thumb drive or something that has your dog's medical records that's labeled on there. So if something does happen or you get separated, somebody sees that, they realize the dog has his medical records, that can be helpful. You know, that's something else you might want to consider. But looking at the water, one of the things I think about is, I've mentioned this on the camping stuff and it's about the preparation of water, one gallon per person per day for food hygiene and drinking, cooking, whatever. My dog, I plan for an hour or a gallon a day, no matter what we're doing when we're traveling and it's going to be moderate to warm weather. And she typically drinks half gallon or less in the winter time, unless we get super active. That's just how she is. I figured her out. So for me, I typically carry three liters of water on anything I do in a simple bag I carry around that sometimes I use as a get-home version of a bag that I just hike with because it's got stuff I might need if something happens and I hurt myself. But I have to think about the distance I'm going and how much water I'd want to carry my dog. One of the things I look at is being realistic. Like if I was out there for two or three days, I could make it on three liters if I had to. I don't want to do that. But with a three-liter basic idea, the thing is, I at a minimum, I, I would double that for my dog. I, w- I would tell you to consider doubling to tripling the amount of water you have for a larger breed animal, say 65, 70 pounds or bigger, unless you know they drink a lot of water. A lot easier when you've got a purse dog or something small that you like to take that, say, it's 20 pounds or smaller. You know, you got one of those, say you got one of them really smart dogs, like a Jack Russell or whatever, or hound dog, and they're all about miles of hiking, but they don't drink as much water. They don't eat as much food. But that's the other thing, too, is the food, is the calories. The animal needs the calories. So one of the things to look at is while you can take food, dry food would be the way to go. You want to be careful about that. One of the things is dry food, depending on what, like I use blue buffalo, it's really good food. Probably too many details on what you want, but something to think about. There is moisture content in there, and if they don't have that moisture, they cannot, they can dry out too much to where they're losing some of what you can get out of there or moisture the animal could have, but also they could be kind of confounded with fungus and all kinds of stuff if they're getting uh not getting the air the idea is to say don't just throw it in there and keep it in there for weeks at a time that's that's a bad idea you'd want something fresh you can take in and out every day you know take a little lunch sack fill it up with some food throw it in the truck when you come home in the day throw it back in with the rest of food so it gets used and just recycle it every day like that the other thing is snacks that are higher calorie or you know to be higher calorie higher protein especially 
higher protein and higher fat content that don't expire quite as much that you know the dog will eat but isn't going to make them sick now the funny thing is <laughs> one of these future episodes i'm discussing some things moving forward but you might be asking yourself or you will when that episode comes out why are we talking about this on the main show well it's a good question but one of the th- i mean the question the guy asks is a good question one of the things we talk about on here when you're looking at this entire gray man concept and the things that we could take from that world and move into our personal lives is the level of thought we put into preparation. I'm trying to approach this from the same idea as the level of thought and intent we put into the practice of when we did the series on how to read the news. We're just looking at a situation like this that matters. You can translate this to anything. It doesn't have to be about the dog or the bug out bag. This could very well be the how to read the news conversation. It's a conversation about planning forward looking to the future what not like 20 years like this trip we're going on we're doing this trip we're doing this thing so you want to plan for your dog that's one aspect of things you're planning for what else are you planning for weather you're planning for travel you're planning for hotels or whatever you're doing whatever your trip is food etc budgeting you might be looking at news and related stuff you know right now and it's been going on for almost two weeks just about anywhere in this country in the united states you're traveling the major factor is going to be weather all these blizzards coming out of nowhere, high high winds, tornadoes right and left. We go from the hottest year on record to setting winter records within the first 14 days of January. You know, that's a major factor. Other times of year it won't be. I mean, if you're you're cool, if you're in Miami or San Diego, you're probably fine. But everywhere else, we're having a hard time. So the idea is to also remember not to forget about all of the people and our occupants with us. If you're a person that, you listen to the show and you're trying to do some of the deception stuff. You're trying to read body language. You're trying to be more observant and situationally aware. This is part of situational awareness. I'm aware of a realistic situation that could happen. How do I prepare for it? That situation could be identifying threats and, and leaving a restaurant. Sure. Another situation is it doesn't happen all that much, but if I had to leave my car and it's me and the dog, what am I going to do? Yeah, it's probably rare. But it's significant enough for the effect that it can have on you. You might want to have a plan in place. Well, I never leave the city. That's okay. You still need to have a plan in place. You know, if it's the middle of the night, if you travel during the middle of the night, what places you could get stuck, what places can you go to, what places are safe, where are emergency services in your area? Oh, they're only three blocks away? Okay, but you're in the city. Like, how quick can you really get there? You know, I could probably walk three blocks out here in the woods quicker than some people can in the city in a car just because of traffic and, you know, the congestion. So there, there's things to pick for your environment for situations also take the dog out of it what about when other people are in your vehicle you know i've gotten messages i haven't shared on topics like this and one of them had to do with a single dad and he was trying to get some advice thinking about the fact when his kids would visit uh well well one kid had her own car and she was older one kid was younger though and came came by himself but things he wanted to do differently for situational awareness and preparation etc etc safety when he was traveling in the city where he lived that he never left when he had his kid with him one of the things we talked about was the subject of if we had to bail out of the vehicle you know i was like when the kid's young or as young as the kid is now there's probably things you make sure the kid has you know just like there's a baby and they have a diaper bag think of it this way especially parents out there anybody's got friends or parents find out what they learn especially by the time they get to the second kid or the kids three four years old about things they'd carry around their diaper bag their purse or backpack that they really needed versus comfort items. 
And then take that idea and go, you know what? Honestly, if you wanted to truly be prepared because <laughs> you don't know when some kind of craziness is going to happen, you probably should have a diaper bag your whole life. Just change the name of it, the style of bag and what you put into it based on your lifestyle and what you need. And eventually morph it from what it is for this kid to teaching them to do it for yourself and you to have it for yourself and then how to make it less conspicuous when that matters. These are things that do factor to this concept. That's why sometimes I like to clarify that it seems like we might be going off topic. Sometimes we might, but this time we're not. And it's also to remember there's expectations you may have about the show and things you want to hear more often that we don't cover quite as much as you want or unexpected topics like this. So clarifying that, one of the things too, when I mentioned that glowing collar I had is carrying the extra batteries for it, having the extra batteries. Other things are markers for the animals. So for example, if you choose to or have any type of backpack or vest they might wear, or even if it's just a bag that you have that you can put, say, Velcro patches or dog tags on, any special information you might want. It's important to note, especially if a dog has allergies or takes medications. If your dog takes medications, you want to be able to take those. And you need to make preparations for the fact that those have to be refrigerated. Which even simple, cheap plug-in um, coolers that you can plug into a lighter outlet in your car are fairly cheap and small for something as simple as you know the medicine they need for their yeast infection or whatever they have that's probably good enough for that that you can just put in there. And then when you take it out, just have something you can wrap it up in to help keep it colder longer and bury it in your bag or whatever and give it to them when they need it. So, so far we're looking at a lot of the same things we do with ourselves, like water, like food. We've looked at clothing a little bit because of the things they have on them. We've discussed safety a little bit when we're focusing on the animal. Another thing we need to look at is shelter. If you're in a situation or a place, or let's say we're just talking for your situation, you like going out in the mountains and hiking and you carry camping gear and stuff, of course we need to have space available for the animal. There needs to be ground cover for the animal, whether it's on the ground or it needs to be some sort of shelter cover enough that the dog can fit under there as well. There's also the bedding situation based on the weather. Remember the ground, depending on the type of ground you're on, can suck the heat right out of you. That could be good or bad. It depends on the animal and the time of year. The other thing too is thinking about the leash you have. Like when I have my 30-foot leash out, I often in places where I want to or need to have her tied up, I have that leash on a D-ring attached to my trailer. But that doesn't mean it's 30 feet long because I can basically take a lot of the slack out of there and put put a knot in to cut the thing back and that's something to think about depending on where you're camping or what you're doing with the animal so to make sure that if they bolt in the middle of the night after something that one you get woke up two they don't get tangled up and three they don't run out there too far and get themselves in trouble or run off and disappear now the thing is a lot of these things because part of the question was a budget i don't know what anybody's budget in but budget typically we mean cheaper dollar amounts things i will tell you this make sure that the collar and leash is a very good sturdy strong material that is difficult to break or be broken down over time and exposure to the elements because that's what is the biggest part of safety and controlling the animal most of the other stuff you can come up with on your own pretty simply or over time a lot of them are cheap little trinkets you can pick up for a few bucks that are mostly budget friendly a lot of it's work on you like for example getting copies of your medical records and then choosing to scan them and say put them in a thumb drive if you want to for example however you want to negotiate that you know or having them in an envelope in your car you know or folder Something along those lines. You know, you already buy dog food. Taking the time to put it in a little baggie and take it with you if you want to do that or do it every few days. Granted, depending on the weather, it can last longer. You know, if you're in Arizona and your car gets 160 degrees on the inside, dry dog food ain't going to last long in there. It's going to spoil and the dog probably won't even eat it anyway because they can smell that it's tainted. You know, now your dog's starving. 
The other thing too is maybe you're better than most people and you don't let your dog eat a lot of people food. Think about the food you're taking. Is it food your dog could eat? Of course your dog could eat it in emergency, but what kind of things are you carrying? So for example, let's say you carry beef jerky. It's lightweight, high protein, might be some decent amount of calories. Your dog will gobble all of that up in front of you and not share. So you want to be careful of that. But if you're carrying Snicker bars, if you really thought your dog was hurting, you could give your dog a Snickers bar, but sugar and all that stuff would be bad for him. And understanding why we don't want to do this, if you had to go two, three days without food and it came down to you and the dog, one, the human life, <laughs> I say this, I'm told up, Greg, because I don't know if I could do it. The human life's more important, but the dog actually can do better for a lot longer without food, just based on loyalty and the instinct and will than a human can. And you should know that going into it so you don't feel too guilty about it. But make sure that the foods you have for both you and the dog don't require too much additional water in preparation or drinking because while that might helpful and be great for digesting that food, it also might process the water out of your body quicker to where just regular water for drinking while you're on the move is less available, which means what? It means we want to make sure that we have a water filter. Obviously, there's many items I'm not going to cover you can look at for any bug out bag, but the reason the water filter is important is you want to make sure it's a high-quality filter, at least something like the Sawyer, that you have the stuff to get the water from, although there's other the Grail's great, there's other ones, that you have some sort of bowl or container you can put water in for your dog. You still want to carry some of your own water, but you have the ability to get extra water. And here's the thing. If you get a Grail or you get a Sawyer or one of these other ones, Take them out and use them. I mean, there's survival schools where they walk you out in a cow field with fresh cow shit out in the mud with nasty, gross water, and it just stinks. And they they take their filter, they throw it in there, they start filtering out the water, put it in the cup, drink it, and say, now you do it, right? You should be able to do that. You should go do it and know what you're getting into. That's what those filters are designed for if there's good ones. Then, unless taste is a really huge issue for you. When you come across a water source, if you know you're going to be moving quite a bit and you realize real quickly how much quicker you're going to lose water, especially when it's raining and you don't realize how much more you're sweating, take advantage of those water sources and don't don't look, don't wait till you drink up all your water you carried to go look for a water source. You come over across a water source, get water. Okay, refill up your water containers, fill yourself up in the dog really good, whatever you got to do. You know, dogs generally, if, just because a dog goes up and drinks the water doesn't mean you can or should. And depending on the condition the dog's in, the dog might be willing to try and survive and accept sickness by drinking water that it probably shouldn't. But more often than not, if the dog's healthy and this is a fresh situation, it's probably, probably, not a, not a doctor, probably only going to drink the water and knows it can, but that doesn't mean that you can. So definitely learn about water and how to tell if it's good or bad and make sure that you have that water filter, but also... Have a simpler old school version with you like iodine or chlorine or any of those things that will at least get rid of a lot of the bad stuff. Maybe not guarantee that it's completely safe, but more likely you won't die from it. Just be aware of that and have that ready and make sure you have that water container. And it's even better if, because one of the things I do, like I have a water container specifically made on an angle for the inside of a vehicle and I carry other bowls and I also have Nalgene bottles. But there's things you can do like you can carry you know, three liters of water like I do and say a reservoir and then you can carry an algae bottle of another liter so you got a gallon and then carry an additional collapsible container or something for the water. And then, you know, drink up what you need to drink up, then refill it all and try to keep it plussed up so you can have as much water as you need to. Uh, hypoxia is unlikely, just don't drink too much water. 
Another thing to look into aside from reading information is talking to your veteran more in depth about what you're doing and the situations you might be in. If you, they, you probably don't want to have the conversation. I might have to bail out of my car, but take a conversation. They might be acceptable. I go hiking a lot. I want to go do more hiking with my dog where I go more for a half mile or a mile from my car where I'm at in the middle of nowhere. And I'm trying to think of things I would need for the dog to take with me. If I was to go out there and say, get stuck or hurt myself and I'm 500 yards away and I can't get to my car. What are things to think about for the dog? Cause I have stuff for myself from that. You'll get some ideas. The other thing is you can also talk to canine handlers, whether military or civilian, any of them that will have experience with that have traveled and carry things with the animal. And most importantly, animals are a lot like kids. And one of the things people talk about in the prepping environment is kids need to have fun and play. So one of the things you don't want to forget is to have something the dog likes to play with. Now, while you can have a ball, the reason you don't want to chase object is it's just going to burn more calorie and energy and tire getting playing with that thing when it needs to conserve that energy for other stuff. So instead, have some type of chew toy, rope toy, something else it likes to play with that you can carry with you that's light, that it can play with right there. You can wrestle around with it without doing too much stuff. You know, it clearly has a little extra energy to burn, but you can do a little bit and kind of monitor the activity. You don't have to burn up too much energy, you know, and, and then the dog gets a little playtime. And as far as the dog's concerned, everything's normal. Now, that being said, if you're on Spotify, check out the show notes. We're looking for your ideas, any tips, tricks, ideas, things you have for this individual. Everybody else traveling with an animal might have to take off on their own, on the ground, probably with only a small amount of items that they need to consider for the dog. Plenty of items out there for personal use. You can look at anywhere to see what you want and, and find out what stuff's cheap or better or whatever quality. But we're definitely looking for some help here with people who are going to be traveling with animals. And, of course, why we put this on dogs, many of you travel with horses and other animals. Any advice or stuff you have that's similar in the questions I put in the show notes, please give us that information because there's going to be other people out there too that travel those types of animals and you guys can share information.